Good morning to each of you and greetings in Jesus' name. I feel a bit disconnected in a lot of ways. Seems like it's been a, a while. I was here a couple weeks ago and then wasn't here and didn't hear a message because of the where it was and then we were gone somewhere else last week and it's good to be with you this morning. One thing that I had to think about a little as we were looking at our lesson today, a verse that, that stood out in ref in yeah, because of something I heard last week made me think about it more. Peter and John were there before the this, the council. And they realized the boldness of Peter and John and, and how, how grounded they were and how bold. And it says that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And that relates to another account a man shared. We were up at the, the River Brethren Church last week in, in Morgan County, West Virginia, at Berkeley Springs. And the message that was there was brought was one in Revelation that they're, they're going through, one brother's going through the book of Revelation. And he shared an account that had happened the day before, an illustration that I was blessed with, and I want to share it with you. He said that the day before they were having a, a church gathering and they were playing some softball and a little boy about four years old, barely four years old, came up to him where he was. He was behind the catcher. So kind of the umpire position inside of the back stop. And this little boy came up and, and was with him. He said, you know, he said, this isn't a very safe place to be. You know, the balls are coming right here. And if there's a foul ball that pops over the bat, it's, it, it could hit us. He said, I don't care. I just want to be with you. They finally got him convinced to go out. He went around and came around the back through the backstop and put his hand through put it on. I just want to be with you. And the brother's encouragement was, as is, is, is you look at current events, you look at future events, we look at all the unknowns, and as you look in Revelation, perhaps it can be a bit daunting. The encouragement is, there can be a lot of danger around, but that little boy's faith was, I'm, I'm okay, I'm with you. Are we with God? Because that's what gives us peace. That's what gives us boldness. That's what gives us comfort. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of danger, in the midst of whatever we're facing, if we're close to God, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It changed how they interacted with people. It changed their perspective. And that's a blessing and encouragement to me. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. This morning I would like to to look at a a passage kind of as a springboard for some thoughts that I hope to share ongoing. First of all, I'm going to ask some questions for us to ponder. Why did God create the world? Why did he create man? 
Why did he create you and me? Did God have a plan? Does God have a plan in all that's going on? Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? That God is in control. That God knows all things. Do we know what God's plan is? You know, we can know that God exists apart from Scripture. Psalm 19 says, you the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 says that, you know, creation is a witness and that people are without excuse. As we think about it, the created world can tell us about God's power, perhaps his care in sustaining creation and his goodness in, in a degree. But the scriptures, the word of God reveals a depth of his personal care and, and compassion and his grace that we wouldn't have any idea about apart from from the scripture. There is much we can know about God without the Scripture, but the Bible is the revelation of God to us. And that song we just sang of that that light, that the things that the, the Scripture can do for us. In the Scripture, He reveals who He is and how He works. And sometimes as we consider salvation and God's grace in the New Testament, it's like, well, what do we need the Old Testament for? The Old Testament lays a foundation, a a basis for who God is and how He works. I was challenged recently, some time ago actually, to to consider the covenants of God. We often think of the covenant that He made there at Mount Sinai with the people. There's actually a number of covenants that He makes And these covenants form a a framework through which God has interacted with humanity in the past and a basis for which he will interact with us in the future. And it's actually a very deep study that I'm looking forward to for myself. I've been exposed to parts of it. But before we go there, I want to look with you at who is making these covenants. And a passage that builds on on this and develops this, and that is in Isaiah chapter 40. I'll spend a very bit of time there this morning. Looking at a bit of the nature of God in that is brought forward here. I know this is a passage many of us are fairly familiar with, and I have referenced it. Several times, I believe, in my messages over the last few years, but I'd like to look at it here a little bit more this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 9. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work is before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs 
with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? It's a question, a rhetorical question. The answer isn't specifically given, but think about it. Who hath measured the waters, meted out heavens? Verse 13, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, The nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished or poor that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot, and seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the curtain, heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing, and maketh the judges of earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall blow upon them, and they shall wither and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by by names, by the greatness of his might, and for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Did you notice all the word pictures that are here to describe God? to give us insights into who he is, his nature, his person, and how he works, and what he has done. 
Just a few points I'd like to break it down that we can can look at. The first that I look at is in verse 12. And that is the exactness of his work. And often you read this verse and you think of just the sheer greatness of God, the, the immensity of God. It says here that he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Measured. But as we think of, of the, the oceans, you know, we, we can think of bodies of water that are close, small lakes and ponds and rivers and calculate flow. But you go to the ocean and the immenseness, the vastness. Says God measured that in the hollow of his hand. You know, to think of, of that, God measuring. He knows how much is there. Brent was reading a book and about the Johnstown flood and we're looking at the, the amounts of water, the amount of water that was released when that dam gave way. And I think it said it was 20 million tons of water. And calculations are that's about 4.65 billion gallons. That's, that's a pretty big number. Now, we hear dollar values tossed around like that, like nothing anymore. But you start applying it to physical things that we can touch and handle and measure. The lake. Think of God measuring the water. Meted out heaven with a span. A span. Spread of fingers. And have you ever measured something you needed to know if it would fit somewhere or if the board was long enough and you didn't have your tape measure but you knew that uh, my span is nine and a half inches a little bit so I know I've many times gone up to something and you measure it all that's the picture God saying okay the heavens are going to be here okay let's see we're going to we're going to meet it out measure it out God is exact in what he does exact in what he did these are word pictures, but I think it helps us to see. It wasn't that he just said, okay, be out there, add some water. There was exactness. There was precision. He put all the dust into a measure. This is comprehended. That means got it all enclosed in a measure. Got the cup, measuring cup, struck it off. Okay, this is how much dust there's going to be. Weighed the mountains and scales. We do good to gauge the height of a mountain close. And we can estimate the mass and density and maybe the weight. God knows exactly. The exactness of who of God's work. Part of, of who he is and how he works. And that lays a background. These things lay backgrounds for the for, for further understanding of how God works. The second thing would be found in verses 13 to 17, and that is the preeminence of God's holiness. Or can we say the degree to which God is set apart? Holiness carries the idea of being set apart. The preeminence, how much above all other things God is. Question is asked here, who has directed the Lord? Who gave him, who gave him counsel that he would know how to do things? Who gave him counsel that he could understand judgment, knowledge, way of understanding? You know, all the nations 
are as a drop of water in a bucket or as dust on the scales. You think of, you're going to weigh something. How often do you blow the dust off the scales because it's going to make a difference? If you're going to carry some feed in a bucket, you like a dry bucket, but if there's a drop of water in the bottom, do you bother often wiping it out just to carry some feed or to... No, it's insignificant. All, all the, the, the honor and the glory, the people that are on the earth compared to God are negligible in contrast to who He is. Not worth considering. Verse 16, And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. Think of this. A whole mountain range of wood is, and all the animals that live there are but a paltry offering. Something that, that isn't even worth the effort to collect and burn. God is so far above earth and earth's nations. So to what degree is he set apart? He is preeminent. He is above all. The next characteristic of God here is the uniqueness of his being. Verse 18 says, to who will ye liken me? Or to whom will ye liken God? And to what likeness will ye compare him? You know, it, then it says these idol makers make things. They make statues. They, make, they carve things. They fashion things. Something to worship. Something they deem worthy of honor. And you can compare that to God, but you can't compare God to that. See, we can say, well, here's God, here's the idol. But if you say, here's the idol, well, God doesn't even come. It's so far above. God is unique in all that man can comprehend and create, formulate. God is unique. God is different. In verses 21 to 24, we see God's interest and involvement in the world's affairs. It says, have you not known? Have you not heard? This is something that, that everyone should understand. That it is he which sitteth on the circle of the earth. That he stretches out the heavens as a curtain. And spreadeth him as a tent to dwell in. This is that God that says here in verse 23. He brings the princes to Nothing. He makes the judges of earth as vanity. His perspectives, sitting up here, looking out, his perspectives supersede anything we can understand. And I see here the most respected among men, the most honored princes and judges. I believe a Supreme Court justice died this week. Someone that many people looked up to and revered and honored as, as an extremely influential person in this land and in their lives, perhaps even. But vanity. God, God sees all these things. And not only does God see them, He is involved. They can, you, you think of, of men in history. 
and the dynasties, and I forget how many dynasties Egypt had. Was it 30 some dynasties being a family line, a, a king and his son succeeding and his son. And you know, this was something mighty. They all ended at God's timing. God blew is the word picture here. He says, the fire is out. That dynasty's over. Here's the next one. God is working. God sees. God has a plan in history. Verses 25 to 28 point out here the vastness of God's knowledge. And again, we have the question to leading into this. Who will you liken me or who shall I be equal? And then we're called to go out. Lift up your eyes and on high and look. What do you see when you look up? Depends on the time, what the, the, where the clock is at, right? Because you can go out sometimes and look up and you see nothing. Becca was lying in her bed the other day and during the day, looking out her window, which is right by the bed. She says, the sky is so deep blue, that intense azure blue we've experienced in a couple days recently, that shift in the weather. And, and you lift up your eye, and the immensity and the, the vastness of, of nothing. But you go out at night, in these clear, cold nights. What do you see? Thousands and thousands of stars. Oh, just, they're, they're just out there and they move every night. They're a different place. They're kind of jumbled up and, right? They're in order. What keeps that star there and that star there and that star there? For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. He calleth them all by names. I was coming home last night from the barn and had a couple of the children with me and I came around the corner and had, look, there's the Big Dipper. It's there. It was there thousands of years ago. There it is. That's God. That's God upholding all things with the word of his power, as it says in another scripture. How did God know how to do that? How does God know how to put them there? How does God know each one? Consider that. Consider the relation of earth in relation to the sun and to these stars. Scientists tell us if we were but a few thousand miles or I don't know what, what closer to the sun or further away, we would either cook or we would freeze. The vastness of God's knowledge in understanding the intricacies of everything he's made. And the question that that brings forward is, if God knows all this, in verse 27, how could we think that God doesn't understand our circumstances or understand what we think? Why sayest thou, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from God? So while he has created all these things, he has always existed. No one will be able to completely explain God. No one is equal to God. Yet we have these verses in verses 29 to 31. And this is God's personal care for people. 
he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. God knows our limitations. He knows that we grow weary. But here he offers us strength. The strength of the one that created all things by the word of his power. and that upholds The one that knows all things. The one that is involved and can blow, breathe, and dynasties are extinguished. The one that has no equal. This God cares, and he offers his strength to us. I'd like to read Psalm, part of Psalm 103, verses 13 to 19. Psalm 103. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He knows how we're made. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the kingdom, in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. He knows our frame. He remembers dust, that insignificant, trivial thing on the scales. And yet he cares. And he offers us his mercy if we fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children. I'd love to hear your response. Do these truths stir you? I pray that God's Spirit would help us to understand these things and would stir our hearts, call us to worship to align our desires with His, to be part of His plan and purpose. This is a picture of who God is. This is the God of the covenants that we want to look at. The word covenant is used over 275 times in the Old Testament. It's especially used a lot in Genesis, Deuteronomy, and also in Joshua, Psalms, and in the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. A definition, a dictionary definition of the Hebrew word, which is berith, is a divine constitution given to Israel with promises on condition of obedience and penalties for disobedience. Now, we've just been looking at the holiness and greatness of God. And when we think of covenant, we think of an agreement between two parties, right? Uh, A contract, perhaps. We sit down, two entities, two men, 
and we draw up a contract. Equal footing. Well, in that contract, in that, there can be discussion of the terms. But we just looked at the greatness of God, His superiority of being in person. And so we have to put the covenants of, of God in that context that it's not on equal footing of a man to man. It's God and men. He sets the terms. He defines what the contract is, what the covenant is. And another way that is, I believe that we could say this is the covenants of God could be summed up basically in a few phrases falling into these categories. One being, this is what I'm going to do. And or sometimes it's that's all. This is what I'm going to do. And that's a covenant. God says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this in the world. Watch and see. It's my promise. Another way would be, I'm going to do this and I expect you to do this. So then there's a part of man that we that we come under and have a part to play in that covenant. You know, some of the covenants required something on man's part and some were basically just a notification of God's intentions. Sometimes the purposes were stated and sometimes they're implied. Turn to Genesis 17. We see here the way, different wording here is it's referring to a covenant and this can be, be helpful perhaps to think back on later then. But in Genesis 17, we see three different words used in reference to the covenant. And what's what God is saying here in verse, in verse 2 of Genesis 17, it says, I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. I think the word make here carries the idea of initiation. The Hebrew word that is translated make here is translated many different ways. One predominant way is that of to give. So I'm giving this covenant. I'm setting it forth. I'm putting it out here. I make a covenant between me and thee. And down in verse 7, it says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee. You're talking with Abram. And this establish carries more of an idea of God ordaining and causing to come forth, to rise up, to go forward. It's interesting, and you wonder how translation happened and, and how, how words were chosen in the context. Because the word here that is established I forget how many hundred times that that Hebrew word is used. Most places, it's the idea of rise up, arose, up, up, arise. Here it's established. So I will establish. I'm going to carry it forward is is the picture that I see here. Not just initiated and set forward, but carried forward. Going down to verse 9. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep 
my covenant, therefore. Thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. What word do you see here in relation to the covenant? You shall keep it. This requires a duty of man. And this word keep, what do you think of when you think of this word keep? When God says keep my covenant, what do you think of? Another word that we would use. Perhaps obey, right? That is part of it. But if you look at the word keep here, the, the tone is, is also that of if someone gives something to you for safekeeping, you're responsible to preserve it. It's important to you. You, you have to pay attention to. You, you hedge about. You keep it. And you do what it says. Notice the continuity of God's covenants. In, in the one here referenced in Deuteronomy 29, when God makes a covenant, he made this covenant, and, and notice here, we're reading verses 9 to 15 of Deuteronomy 29. Therefore the words of this covenant, there, excuse me, keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them. See there you have the, the keeping and then not only the keep, the do. The obey, fulfill your part, that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains, your tribes, your elders, and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, that he may be unto thee a God, as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So there's where the covenant was first established, first made, set forward. Not only is it with them, it says in four, verse 14, neither, well, it says that I'm going to do this for you as I did with them. And then 14 says, neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. Who's that referring to? Those yet unborn. The people that would follow after. It was given to Abraham, this covenant. It was reiterated with Isaac and Jacob. It's renewed now before the children of Israel, before going into Canaan. And it's declared to be valid in the future. God's covenant is binding from generation to generation. There's a few things about God's covenants. And it's not always called a covenant. It's interesting where God comes and makes a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, where David wanted to build a temple. And God says, well, the, the prophet Nathan said, go for it. And he said, oh, no, because God came and, and made him. Something that, that is just phenomenal to, to read and, and be there in David's, put yourself in David's shoes if you read through that passage. And he promises David 
a lineage that would last forever. And we have David's response in prayer there of, of just, wow, God did this. And there's some interesting things there you can see about God, but we've, we've already looked at a lot of, of, of that now already. But there, God doesn't say, I'm making a covenant. He just says, I'm going to do this. But then later in Psalm 89, it is called a covenant. It's refreshed, it's rehearsed that God did this. And it says, it's a covenant. Therefore, we, we call that one of the covenants of God because it fits in in God setting forth his plan. I didn't know how far I'd get this morning in, in looking at that. We've laid a, a foundation that I hope we can build on later. But even if we wouldn't, I trust that your hearts are stirred to see that God is unequaled in being that God is specific in what he does. He is complete in what he understands. And that affects how he relates to people. And that affects how he relates to his creation as, as, a, as a general unit. And we think of the covenants that he makes with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with David, and the new covenant that we are all so thankful to be a part of, to be partaker in, which is also a little bit of the second covenant, which was that of the, the promise of salvation. God keeps his word. Whether or not, God, whether or not man keeps his word, God does. We serve a great God. But not only is he great, the last point there in Isaiah 40 points out his care. If you go back to verse, I believe it's verse 11, it shows a picture of God leading his people, gently leading those that have young and even carrying those that can't walk by themselves. That's our God. Great and mighty, yet loving and caring. Let's kneel for prayer.